We're going to start a new topical series today. I don't do much topical preaching because topical preaching is dangerous. It's easy to abuse God's word, but there are times when it is appropriate, and so we're going to dig into that, and we're going to start a series called Disciplined Life. What does it look like to live a disciplined spiritual life? An elite athlete is a disciplined athlete. They go through extensive practice. They practice regularly. They take their time. And the difference between an elite athlete and somebody who never makes it at that level may not be talent. It may be discipline. It may be taking the time to be very careful to regularly practice the disciplines necessary in order to have that level of performance. And that's what I want to present to us over the next month is what it looks like to live a disciplined life. To start off with, I want us to go to our scripture memory verse of the month. That's John 21, 22. If you'll all say it with me, John 21, 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. John 21, 22. The command is to follow Jesus. Keep the focus on Jesus, to put our eyes on Jesus and to follow him no matter what. Those of you who are reading in the church's Bible reading plan, uh, today we begin the book of 1 Chronicles, and I don't know how you fare in 1 Chronicles, but I find it to be hard, especially those first nine or so chapters where it is genealogy after genealogy after genealogy, and you get all these names that you can't pronounce, and all these peoples that you can't remember. But there is something that we can learn from genealogies. And I stand by that. And so where I'm going to take us in just a minute is going to be to a genealogy, actually. Genesis chapter 5. If you want to turn briefly here to Genesis 5, verse 24... And while we turn there, I want to present to you the idea of walking with God. We talk about it colloquially. Walk with God. How's your walk with God? But what do we mean when we talk about walking with God? Coming up in a few weeks, well, about a month, we're actually going to have the opportunity to walk the Stations of the Cross. As a church, on uh, Sunday, May 21st at 1.30, We're going to come together at uh, the cloisters on the plat, and we're going to do the Stations of the Cross. It's a really cool opportunity to walk a simulation of the path Jesus walked to the plat, take time to pray, to think through what Jesus went through. It is one step in walking with Jesus. But I want to take us further than just the Stations of the Cross as we walk with Jesus. I want to push us to have a true walk. And so today in the sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline for you what it means to walk, why we need to walk, and how we walk. Before I get into all those details, though, let me take you to Genesis chapter 5. So if you read Genesis chapter 5, you'll see a pattern. It's a genealogy. I'm not going to read this all to you because I don't want you to fall asleep yet. It starts off, Adam lived, Adam had a son, Adam died. 
Seth lived. Seth had a son. Seth died. Enosh lived. Enosh had a son. Enosh died. And it continues for verse after verse after verse. And then all of a sudden we get to Genesis 5.24, and I want to actually read that with you. Look at what Genesis 5.24 says. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. In the middle of this genealogy where it says so-and-so had a son, so-and-so died, so-and-so had a son, so-and-so died, so-and-so had a son, so-and-so died, we get to Enoch, a man who walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him. God spared him from death because of his walk with God. The phrase no more comes from a Hebrew particle, which really means he was no longer present on this earth. Enoch walked with God so much so that God spared him death itself. So it begs the question, what does it actually look like to walk with God? What does that look like? If Enoch walked with God so faithfully that he was taken instead of dying, What does that look like? What does it look like to have that sort of a relationship with God so that in the middle of this genealogy that most of our eyes just skim over, if we're honest with ourselves when we're reading our Bibles, there's this punctuated point where we read something was different about this man. Something was special. Something was unique. In Hebrews, Hebrews 11.5, We are going to be all over in your Bibles today, just as a fair warning. In Hebrews 11.5, we read, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So, Hebrews expands on this. Hebrews tells us that it was faith. As a, just a side note, it's always faith that saves somebody. It was faith in the case of Enoch. He walked with God in faith. So what does it look like to walk with God? The first thing I want to tell you is that walking with God involves taking steps of faith. Walking with God looks like taking steps of faith. That's what it looks like. And for this, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, we learn about some of the steps of faith involved in walking with God. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 9, says, Therefore, we are always confident And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. The context of 2 Corinthians focuses on our heavenly dwelling. Walking with God involves a focus on the heavenly dwelling. The expectation 
the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity. Paul writes, we live by faith, not by sight. In a walk with God, fear of death is replaced with expectation of heaven. In a walk and the goals of the present are replaced with eternal goals. A walk with God is a walk of faith as we replace the physical as we wait and wait all the time longing for God. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds at level Enoch. That's not where you have to start. Level one is a perfectly fine place to start. In technology and other areas, there's what's called the feedback loop. There can be good feedback loops and bad feedback loops. We haven't had a bad one yet this morning. Let's hope for, we don't have one. Feedback loops occur like when you hear the speaker squeal, that's a feedback loop. It's taking a small amount of input and amplifying it and continuing to amplify it. This happens all over the place, and there are good places this happens. For example, when you take $100 and you invest it in the bank at, let's say, 5% interest, and the next year you have $105, and you invest that in the bank, and the next year you have $110.25, it's a feedback loop. It continues to grow more and more and more. Faith is a feedback loop. The more you have faith, the more God's going to grow your faith. You can start at level one, taking little steps of faith, and God will grow your faith little by little, step by step. You don't need to be a spiritual giant today. You just need to start. That's all it takes is a start. The second thing that I see, though, in walking with God is that walking with God looks like a denial of the flesh, a denial of the flesh and embracing of the spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Listen to what Paul writes. Paul writes, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Walking involves not living according to the flesh, but living according to the Spirit. But what is it to live according to the flesh? If I am telling you to reject living according to the flesh, I need to come up with a good way of explaining to you what the flesh is. So let me give you a couple of thoughts. First, the flesh consists of deep desires that pull us towards self-preservation, self-fulfillment, and self-exaltation. I'm going to read you what one Christian philosopher, Alvin Plantinga, writes. Plantinga writes, Our affections are skewed, directed to the wrong objects. We love and hate the wrong things. Instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm inclined to seek my own personal glorification and aggrandizement bending all my efforts towards making myself look good instead of loving God above all and my neighbor as myself. I'm inclined to love myself above all and indeed to hate God and my neighbor. The defect here is affective, not intellectual. Our affections are disordered. They no longer work as in God's original design. 
There is a failure of proper function, an affective disorder, a sort of madness of the will. In this condition, we know, and in some way, in some degree, agree, what is to be loved, but we nevertheless perversely turn away from what ought to be loved and instead love something else. The flesh is a love for self. A love for self. Plantinga writes, it's an affective desire. Our affections are misplaced. Instead of putting our affections on God, we focus on self. That's what it means to live according to the flesh. And we are all guilty. In Romans 8, Paul says, don't live according to the flesh. We should live according to the spirit. Paul writes in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Intellectually, we know. If I were to ask you who is supposed to be your number one priority, all of you would get it right. God. God's supposed to be my number one priority. And then if I asked you, so who was your number one priority yesterday? All of you, myself included, would get it wrong. I was right? Our affections are misdirected. That's what God is calling for us to do, is to love him first and foremost. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Put it off. Put your affections on God. Finally, what does it look like to walk with God? Walking with God looks like a life of prayer. I get this from Luke 6.12. In Luke 6.12, Luke, describing Jesus' life, writes, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. One of those days, just one of the days, What was Jesus found doing? Praying. And how long did he spend in prayer? Oh, just the night, that's all. I don't know about you, but if you ask me to pray for any extended period of time, it gets hard. Why? Because I'm not talking about myself. I'm not focused on myself. I have to focus on God. Again, my affections are misdirected. Jesus, the perfect example, because he is God himself, spent all night praying. And the way Luke writes it, it just is like, oh, it happened to be one of these nights he was out praying and spent all night praying. That's just the sort of thing that this guy did. That's what it means to walk with God. Walking with God is taking steps of faith. Walking with God is denying of the flesh. Walking with God is living a life of prayer. So in summary, walking with God looks like taking steps of faith, looks like denying the flesh, while embracing the Spirit all through the power of prayer. That's what it looks like to walk with God. That's what it means to walk with God. Now, why should I strive to walk with God? That's a good question. Because if we're honest with ourselves, 
I think we all have this question. Is it really worth it? Is it really something I should strive for? I'm going to tell you, I, I am worried if I were Enoch and God said, all right, good job. You've walked really closely with me. I'm going to take you now. I think I would, in all honesty, be like, well, can we wait just a little bit, God? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ready to leave the earth just yet. Why? Because I, again, have my affections misplaced and I focus on myself. But I, I, I really do think that if, if God asked me, I would hesitate in all honesty. So why? Why walk with God that closely? Why is it worth it? The answer is actually really simple, and then I'm going to expand on it a little bit. The simple answer is because you need God. That's really what it comes down to. You need God. But let's expand a little bit. First of all, C.S. Lewis coined this idea that everybody has a God-shaped hole in their heart. Psalm 42. Beautiful psalm. And in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5, listen to what the psalmist writes. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David writes, my soul pants for God as the deer pants for the water. We have a longing for God that's built into us. We may at times not recognize it because, again, our affections are misplaced. And so our solution to this longing that we have in our heart is often to fill it with a million other things besides God. And we go through life filling our life with things that aren't God, hoping that they fill this hole and it just continues to be a vacuum. Why walk with God? Because God is the solution to that hole that is in each of our hearts. But it's not just that God is a solution to the hole. It's that God offers us purpose. Everybody needs purpose. And God offers true purpose. We all need purpose, and God offers us true purpose. Look at Psalm chapter 1. We're going to read this entire psalm, and I want you just to listen as I read through Psalm chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. 
if you think about it for a moment, we each long, we each stand waiting for purpose. Because we all need a steadfast anchor in the fallen world. We need a steadfast anchor, and God is that anchor. Our purpose centers around God. We see that in verse 3 of Psalm 1, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. The person who puts their anchor down in God yields fruit, has purpose. Everybody needs a steadfast anchor in the fallen world in order to yield fruit, and that is God. Finally, why? Because we all need a completely trustworthy friend. Everybody needs a trustworthy friend, and we have that in God. Look at John chapter 13. It says John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. It says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We need a completely trustworthy friend. We were built for relationship. God is relationship. Think about it for just a second. He is Trinity. He's perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, all existing in relationship. We were made in the image of God. I believe we were made for relationships. We need relationships, and God promises. In fact, Jesus calls us his friends. He is that perfect friend that we all need. Now, you all have, I'm sure, some really good friends. I hope you do. I have some really good friends. But there is no friend like Jesus. He is that perfect friend. Hopefully you're convinced of the why. So now let me talk about the how. How can I learn to walk with God. First thing that I want to suggest to you, step one, is take some time to learn God's words. There's a scene from the movie 101 Dalmatians, the old animated movie, that is one of the scenes that just sticks in my head, and it's where each individual is walking their dog and they look like their dog. Or their dogs look like them, however you want to word it. But there's so much truth to that scene in our world. Those of you who are married and have been married for a long time, your mannerisms are a lot like your spouse's. Have you noticed that? When you spend time with someone, you start to act like them. And some of you are thinking, really? Yeah, really. When you spend time with someone, you start to talk like them. The words you use start to sound similar. The sentence structures you use starts to sound similar. When you spend time with people, you begin to be more and more like them. If we are to learn to walk with God, we need to know the language. We need to be able to communicate with him well. 
and he has provided us his word. We know how he speaks. We know some of the ways that he thinks in his word. Look at Psalm 119, verse 11. This is one you might have memorized. If you don't have it memorized, I recommend you memorize it because it's, at a meta level, a pretty good verse to memorize. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. The one who hides God's words in their heart actually has a level of protection against sin. Because, I don't know about you, but when I've walked the path of heading down a path of sin, it's really frustrating because God often brings scripture to mind. I'm like, no, I I want to do this sin. And God's, no, here's a scripture for you. But I really, I really don't want to obey you, God. Here's another scripture for you. When we spend time in God's word, we will begin to think and speak in ways that enhance our walk with God. If you regularly spend time in God's word, you will naturally begin to act more and more like how God wants you to act. It is a surefire way to grow. Spend time in God's word. We're going to talk about that a lot more next week, what it looks like to make God's word a discipline in your life. The second action step that I have for you on this, take time to align yourself with God's will. In Amos chapter 3, Amos is speaking about inevitable judgment on Israel. And he's giving a bunch of just like, here are the facts of life type statements. You know, this happens in the world. This happens in the world. Judgment is coming. One of the facts though that Amos gives is actually Amos 3.3. And he says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Can you actually walk with someone unless you've agreed to walk with them? Unless you have the same purpose in mind. So, if you want to do an experiment today, yesterday we had the Huskers game, but if you want to do an experiment today, go downtown and just walk down the streets. What you're going to find is there will be a number of people who cross your path. A lot of people will cross your path. Some might even walk the same block with you, but you won't be walking with them. You see, if we don't align ourselves to the will of God, make sure we're going in the same direction, we might cross paths with God a lot but we won't be walking with God. It's different if you take somebody with you and you go downtown and you say, let's walk to that store there. You'll walk there together. You'll be together. That's very, very different, radically different than when you're walking downtown by yourself and someone happens to cross paths with you. Very, very different perspectives. I worry that too often we don't align our will with God Instead, we sort of go our own way, and every once in a while, we cross paths with God, and we say, hey, good to see you. Where are you headed? That's not where I'm going, but it it was good to see you. That's not walking with God. That's not what it means. No, we need to align ourselves with God's will. Take time to study God's will so that you can align yourself and say, yes, God, I understand Your goal. Your goal is for the salvation of people. Your goal is for your glory. And I am 100% sold out 
to bring in you glory and bringing people into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to walk with you, God, in this process. If you don't align yourself with God, you will find yourself crossing God's path periodically. But you'll never find yourself walking with God. Finally, action step, commit to extended time of prayer. All of this fits together. It's a big puzzle, but when we zoom out, we begin to see how this puzzle works. Because remember, what does it look like? Well, walking with God is steps of faith. Walking with God is denying the flesh. Walking with God is a life of prayer. How are we going to accomplish this? Well, by learning how to speak like God, by learning to align ourselves with God, and how are we going to do that? Studying his word and praying. Commit to extended time in prayer. We have a Wednesday noon hour prayer service. We pray for an hour. We don't sit and share prayer requests. We just And it is an amazing extended time of prayer where we get to interact with God and talk with God and interact through prayer with each other. Hear each other's hearts and hear as our hearts are molded to be more like God. We do have a Zoom option if you would like to join, like maybe over your lunch hour or something. We invite you to that. This Saturday, we're going to have a prayer service for our city. There's a lot going on, a lot going on. And we can take time in extended time of prayer. So this Saturday, this Wednesday, Wednesday noon, Saturday 10, come and pray. On your own, take time to pray. I'm going to tell you how I take time to pray. It doesn't mean that this is what you have to do, but this is what I have to do in order to make this work for me. I have to go walk. It can be walking the fellowship hall. I'm sorry if at some point we have to replace the carpet, but it will be worth it for the prayer. Um, When the weather's nice, I go walk outside and just walk and talk with God. Why? Because it takes the distractions out. I don't have all the distractions of life. Because I'll tell you what, if you're sitting at your computer or at your desk, for me at least, and you're praying, and then something comes to mind, guess what I have to do because I have no self-control. I have to go send that email because it just came to mind. And there goes my prayer time. No, take time. If it's going on a walk, if it's something you can do in the morning, I fall asleep if I try to pray first thing in the morning. But take time for an extended period of prayer. We already read Matthew 6, 12. I'll remind you of what it said. It said, one of those days, Jesus went onto a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. What stuck out to me as I read this verse? First of all, Jesus went. Sometimes the reason we fail in prayer is because we simply don't go. We simply don't set aside time for prayer. If you look at your schedule and there's no time for prayer, guess what? There's no time for prayer. Jesus intended. He went with the purpose of praying. It was intentional. More than just an accident. Jesus spent. Prayer takes time. And finally, Jesus prayed to God. 
prayer is always to God. I did a little bit of research. The average person spends about 16,000 words a day. You may have heard the anecdotal that women speak more than men. All, all of that seems, from what I can tell, to be anecdotal, like actual research by people who, who know what they're doing and talking about. Men and women speak about the same amount, 16,000 words a day. How many of those words are directed to God? I venture to challenge you that if you only spoke to your spouse or your best friend in sentences of at most 10 words every 15, to 15 minutes to 15 hours, you wouldn't have a relationship with them. No, real conversation, real relationships take time. Let's walk with God together. Let's make that a discipline in our life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you desire to walk with us. As I think of Enoch and the fact that he walked so closely with you that you took him. Father, I'll admit in my life, I'm nowhere near that. I'm not ready to be near that. But I want personally to have a walk with you that is a close walk where I deny the flesh, I deny myself and embrace the spirit. I pray as a church that we would make our walk with you one of discipline. That it wouldn't be just a random on occasion we cross paths with you. But that we would be known as individuals who walk with God. That as a church we would see the fruits of a close walk with you. That we'd see the victories that come only through you. Father, I pray that we would walk closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen.